You're listening to L-Town Radio, the Livingston Library Podcast. There's practically no limit to what you can learn and see when you belong to the Livingston Library. From science and technology to crafts and genealogy, our library is virtually an information galaxy. This library is yours and this library. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the December 2021 episode of L-Town Radio, the Livingston Public Library podcast. I'm Joe. I'm one of the adult services and acquisitions librarians here at the library, and I'll be your host for this episode, as always. Coming up later in the show, we'll get to listen in on a chat that our teen librarian, Karen, had with the Teen Advisory Board. Uh, We'll hear from Katie on some of the eagerly anticipated books coming our way to the library in the next month. Hong Mei will be back to share a very special song, and we'll hear from the crew about their favorite books, films, and shows from the past year. But first, uh, I want to uh, put in another installment of a kind of series I've been doing on the podcast this fall. If you've listened to our two previous episodes, you know I've been going through the archives of our local newspaper, the West Essex Tribune, which of course you can access online or uh, here in person at the library in our local history room. Um, And I've been going through these old papers, uh, reading this feature they used to do uh, back in the 40s and 50s called School Bell. And basically children from local Livingston schools would write in uh, original stories or poems, that they would then print in the paper. Uh, I read some that they did in previous Halloween seasons, and last month I read stories that they wrote about Thanksgiving, some of which were curious, to say the least, sometimes even a little disturbing. But this month, I thought I would continue, but we would read some of the Christmas-themed contributions that these children uh, wrote many years ago. And... Fortunately, they're a little more uplifting in the spirit of the season. Um, The first one I'm going to read is from the December 25th, 1947 edition of the West Essex Tribune. Uh, This is by Rosemary, and this is called A Let's Pretend Story for Christmas, The Life of the Spruces. One day in December, I, Mrs. Spruce of the Pine family, was chattering with Mr. Spruce about the welfare of the family and wondering if we were going to have a nice, cozy place for the winter to stay. All of a sudden, we saw a man appear, looking over the Pine families. He looked us over and finally decided we were pretty enough for him to take home. The man dug us out and, by surprise, took three of us, including our son, Spruce. We were wrapped up in bags and put in the car and started the journey. We wondered in what kind of a home we were going to be placed and if we would be happy there. The car slowed up and turned into a beautiful estate. Little Spruce whispered, What is going to happen to us? I answered, Don't worry, son. They will take care of us. 
We were taken out of the car and planted in beautiful big pots. We got plenty to drink, and they put us in a nice garage. We stayed there for a few days, and one evening we were all taken out. Mr. Spruce was put on the porch. I was placed in the living room, and Sun Spruce was placed in Evelyn's room. We were all decorated and were very pretty indeed. When spring came, we were planted outside in front of the house, and that is where we have been ever since. The end. Well, that's nice to know that those trees did not meet the usual fate that befalls our Christmas trees every year. Um, okay, some more stories. This one is from the West Essex Tribune on December 22nd, 1949. And this one is called The Night Before Christmas. It was written by Richard in fifth grade. On the night before Christmas, the Christmas tree said, Let's have a party of our own. After all, the children have all the fun. Then the wooden soldiers, the tanks, and the cannons started their feast, eating gunpowder, bullets, and having a wonderful time. Then when they heard the children coming down the stairs, they hid behind chairs. But it wasn't the children coming. It was the other soldiers the children had received last year. The new soldiers were very jealous and began to fight. The planes were dropping bombs, but of course the new soldiers had the atom bomb. Then the Christmas tree said, Now boys, stop that fighting. We apologize, said one of the new soldiers. Then they opened some of the presents Santa Claus had left for them. They got better planes and lots of guns. Every night, when everybody was sleeping, they rode their planes around and had gun battles with corks in their guns, and they lived happily ever after. Oh, I'm glad that ended happily. Next, we have uh, from Lucille, also in grade five, back in 1949, Mr. and Mrs. Squirrel's Christmas. Squirrels have a Christmas, too. People are not the only ones. The week before Christmas is a busy time for Mr. and Mrs. Squirrel. They are very busy gathering nuts. It is hard to find nuts with snow on the ground. Let's see what they are doing now. Look, they are talking to Mr. and Mrs. Snowman. Let's see what they are saying. Hello, Mrs. Snowman. Are you all ready for Christmas? Yes, I am. The boy and girl that live in that house gave me a hat and my husband one. That was very nice of them. My husband and I can't find any food. That is too bad. I wish I could help you, but I can't move. We better be saying goodbye now, Mrs. Snowman. Merry Christmas. Days went by, and Mr. and Mrs. Squirrel did not find any food. Christmas Eve was soon here. Mr. and Mrs. Squirrel were very worried. They took all the time looking for food. It was now night. Mr. and Mrs. Squirrel were very sad. They had found a little food, but it only lasted for that night. Then they went to sleep, very sad. Next morning, lo and behold, the birdbath had snow on it, and there were had no snow on it, and there were many different kinds of nuts on it. When they were all finished eating, they saw a girl and boy looking out of the window. From that time on, Mr. and Mrs. Squirrel had enough food. Well, that's another heartwarming 
holiday story. Uh, next we have Lynn from grade five with the exciting Christmas Eve. One day, Mr. and Mrs. Reindeer were running around having a lot of fun when a big fox came along. He took Mrs. Reindeer to his home. He said, now I will have you for supper. Mrs. Reindeer begged and begged because she did not want to be eaten up. Mr. Reindeer was looking all over the forest, but he could not find her. He was very excited because tomorrow was Christmas. All of a sudden, Mrs. Reindeer ran outside and ran as fast as her legs would go. Mr. Fox ran after her, but did not catch her. Mr. Reindeer jumped out of a clump of bushes and killed Mr. Fox with his hooves. After all that excitement, Mr. and Mrs. Reindeer had a Merry Christmas after all. Well, at least that was a happy ending for Mr. and Mrs. Reindeer. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll just do one more. This one is called The Christmas Spirit by Bob in grade five. Once again, from December 22nd, 1949, The Christmas Spirit. In a big house on the hill lived Alexander. He was very rich. Every Christmas, he would get a lot of nice toys. Across the tracks, in a tumbled old house, lived Joe. The two boys were very good friends. When Christmas was near, Alexander would say to Joe, what do you want for Christmas? Joe would say, I would like a nice bike like yours, but we don't have enough money to pay for it. Alexander went home to tell his mother what Joe had said. Alexander said, Mother, may I buy Joe a bike for Christmas? His mother said, yes. So when Christmas came, Joe was so happy that he almost cried. But Alexander was even more happy than Joe because he found out that it was better to give than to receive. Oh, that's very lovely, too. Good job, Bob. All right, again, those were all from archives of the West Essex Tribune, our local paper for over a century now. And uh, you can find those archives digitally through the Livingston Library website, livingstonlibrary.org on our resources A to Z page. And of course, if you ever want to look at print archives of the West Essex Tribune, come talk to one of our reference librarians and uh, they can arrange for you to go into our local history room. All right, so let's continue to hear from the youth of Livingston, although uh, in this case, the youth will be a little bit older and considerably more modern. Of course, I'm talking about the Teen Advisory Board from Livingston High School, and our teen librarian, Karen, recently sat down to talk with them about what they do on the Teen Advisory Board, and here's what they had to say. This is Karen DeWilde from the Livingston Public Library, and I'm here today with the co-presidents of our Teen Advisory Board. The Teen Advisory Board is made up of high school volunteers who advise the library on materials and programs for teens, and they also help plan and run programs for teens. Introduce yourselves, guys. Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah Nainen. Hi, I'm Ashley Fong. Hello, I'm Ritika Das. Hello, I'm Jocelyn Motopillo. I'm Emily Ma. Hi, everyone. I'm Rosemary Anthony. Each one of these teens has put in over 100 hours of volunteer service, and I've brought them here today to talk a little bit about that. 
Rosemi, I'm going to turn the mic over to you. We've all been part of the Teen Advisory Board ever since our freshman year. We would love to share some of the activities we ran as members of the Teen Advisory Board. Hey, Emily, what was your favorite activity? Um, so I worked as the game administrator during the summer where we would create puzzles and games for kids to play. And we gave out points to um, the users for doing the achievements and reading and putting their books in and writing book reviews. And at the end, they can get a final prize for um, getting the most points. So Sarah and Ashley, what was your favorite volunteer activity? So our favorite part of volunteering at the library was the storybook garden activity this summer. We made laminated gnomes and plastic animal statues for scavenger hunts for children. And we also planted flowers, uh, pink flowers, and then we maintained a rainbow flower bed like just at the side of the library. Yeah. So Ratika, what was your favorite event that you volunteered for? One of my favorite events that I ran was the Stress Relief Day for all the high schoolers that came to the library. We made tons of boba tea the day before and served it on the day of the event. Along with that, there were therapy dogs brought in for everyone to pet, and the event gave a much-needed break for everyone for because of AP exams. Ritiga, another event we had after school for middle schoolers and high schoolers was an event where we made some pancakes with some pancake art. We also showed some cartoons, specifically Gravity Falls, and overall, it was an opportunity for kids to relax and take a break from all the studying. Hey, Rosemary, do you remember the Harry Potter event we ran? Yeah, Justin, that was pretty fun. Yeah, I remember there being like 50 kids participating. All the kids were divided up into houses and were competing for the house cup for their specific team. The Teen Advisory Board ran different stations like Potions, Quidditch, and Trivia. My job was to help the kids make butterbeer, which is a famous Harry Potter snack. Yeah, I remember that. The butterbeer was pretty good, uh, not gonna lie. <laughs> Yeah, that Harry Potter event was really fun. Um, we are just starting to plan our events for this year. Any teen who wants to get involved thank in you, the Karen, Teen Advisory and thank Board you to the Teen Advisory Board for that. That was wonderful. And like Thanks, Karen guys. said, uh, if you want to join, make sure you register through our website, livingstonlibrary.org, on the teen page. And the next meeting of the Teen Advisory Board is going to be on December 9th, which is a Thursday, starting at 3 p.m. to 3.45. Well, we're just about at the halfway point of our episode, which, as usual, means we're going to have a visit from our Adult Services and Acquisitions librarian, Hong Mei, who's going to share a very special song with us. Hong Mei? Now that winter is almost here, it's time for people to enjoy the warmth, love, connection, and holiday celebration. When winter comes, I love to sit quietly by myself, listen to my favorite music. One piece I love is The Four Seasons by Antonio Vivaldi. This is a set of four violin concertos composed in 1723. Vivaldi was one of the first people to compose music that was designed to remind listeners of places and things in the world around them. Now, let us enjoy this classic piece, Winter, from the Four Seasons.
Thank you very much, Jose. That was a lovely piece of music as always. And it definitely evoked some very strong wintry feelings in me. It was very chilly and icy, but in the best possible way, in a very refreshing way. Kind of made me want to go ice skating. All right, speaking of music, um, I want to talk real quick about a program we have coming up next month, or this month, I should say, on December 21st. That's a Tuesday night starting at 7 p.m. It's the next installment of our Classic Movie Tuesdays series. And on December 21st, we are going to be screening the 1939 classic, The Wizard of Oz. Many, many miles east of nowhere lies the amazing land of Oz, a magnificent empire created in the mind of a man who wrote a great book about it. Like wildfire in a wheat field, the fabulous tale of the Wizard of Oz spread from town to city to nation to the entire world. Although the Wizard of Oz has captivated the children of four generations and fired the imaginations of those youthful adults who have never grown old, Although 10 million copies of the book have reached eager hands and eager hearts, no one has dared the towering task of giving life and reality to the land of Oz and its people. Every delightful character of L. Frank Baum's classic is now reborn. Every glorious adventure has been recaptured and painted with a rainbow. The celebration in Munchkinland, the flying monkeys, the rescue of Dorothy, the castle of the witch, the Palace of Oz, and Dorothy's strange journey to the Emerald City to find the wonderful Wizard of Oz himself. We're off to see the Wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. We hear he is the Wizard of Wizards, if ever a Wizard was. If ever a weather of Wizard was, the Wizard of Oz is one because, 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 because... Now I'm sure many of you listening have not just seen the Wizard of Oz before, but have seen it many times. I know I have. Uh, and a few of those times were during college while the movie was synced to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon album, but that's a story for another time. Um, the point is, even if we've all seen it, we've probably all seen it on TV, right? You know, um, how many times have we actually seen it on the big screen in its technicolor glory? Um, and it's kind of why I'm excited to have it on the big screen in our program room on Tuesday night, December 21st at 7 o'clock. And in fact, if you haven't seen it or if you know someone who's never seen the movie, especially younger audience members, I think this would be a great way to introduce them to this classic movie. All right. Coming up next, we have our Adult Services and Acquisitions Department head, Katie, back as she has been in previous months to tell us about some of the most eagerly awaited upcoming reads coming our way to the library in December. Katie? It is finally December and the end of 2021. It's been a great year of books, and I know we have a lot more amazing titles to look forward to in 2022. You can check out the following books at www.livingstonlibrary.org or via Overdrive and Libby. Up first this month on December 2nd is The Hill We Climb by Amanda Gorman, and it's poetry. 
a collection of poetry by poet Amanda Gorman, who rocketed to popularity after her reading at the presidential inauguration. Seahawk by Todd Bell is an adventure on December 7th. Alex Hawk is sailing into trouble when an all-around-the-world journey becomes a fight against terror in the latest exciting adventure from New York Times bestselling novelist Ted Bell. Creative Types by Tom Bissell is literary on December 7th. A collection of stories by the best-selling author of The Disaster Artist depicts protagonists struggling to bridge the gap between art and life, from a movie star's hapless assistant to a hired threesome sex partner. Family Business by S.J. Rosen is mystery on December 7th. The death of a powerful Chinatown crime boss thrusts private eye Lydia Chin and her partner Bill Smith into a world of double dealing, subterfuge, murder, and because this is New York City, real estate in this new mystery by Edgar award-winning novelist S.J. Rosen. Beasts of a Little Land by Juhei Akim is fiction on December 7th. An epic story of love, war, and redemption set against the backdrop of the Korean independence movement, following the intertwined fates of a young girl sold to a courtesan school and the penniless son of a hunter. Better Than Revenge by Elizabeth Adler is a thriller out on December 10th. The next glamorous, suspenseful beach read from New York Times bestselling author Elizabeth Adler follows twin sister grifters whose next mark has just been murdered. Safe Cracker by Ryan Wick, a thriller on December 25th. Safe Cracker Michael Maven's latest job should be simple, steal a rare coin from a New York apartment. Except the coin's owner comes home with a beautiful woman who murders him nearly murders Maven and takes the coin herself. And then Maven's life gets really complicated. And finally, we have Curse of Salem by Kay Hooper, a thriller out on December 28th. The small town of Salem has been quiet for months, or so Bishop and his elite special crimes unit believe. But then Hollis Templeton and Diana Hayes receive a warning in Diana's eerie gray time between the Thank world you, as of always, living Katie, and the realm for of the dead. Telling us what books we can expect to see at the library in the month ahead. But since it is December, I figured why not take one last look at the months behind us? And I thought I'd ask the crew uh, what books, films, or shows or music uh, that came out in 2021 that they especially loved. So first, let's hear from Jessica. Hello, L-Town Radio listeners. I've read a lot of books this year. I still am working on my Goodreads yearly reading challenge goal of reading 100 books, but it's safe to say that I'm almost there. Here are my top reads so far of 2021. The Invisible Life of Addie Laveau by V.E. Schwab. Let me start by saying that I really didn't think I'd like this book. It's not something that I usually read, but a few authors who have zoomed into our Bookish Vibes book club had recommended it, so I decided to give it a try. This book is a whimsical fantasy novel wrapped within a tragic love story that you just have to experience for yourself. Golden Girl by Elin Hildebrand. You can never go wrong with an Elin Hildebrand novel, and every year I look forward to reading her latest release. This novel had all the elements that I love about Hild a Hildebrand novel. 
Nantucket, family, and more. But it also explored death and the afterlife, which made this novel a refreshing update to her usual style. Courage Without Grace by Jeannie Zokin. This novel is located in the library's indie collection and is about a young woman who reads tarot cards, a secret, and a romance. I thoroughly enjoyed this novel and I came to appreciate it even more after hearing Zokin speak about her writing process and pursuant of indie publication at one of the library's writing lectures this year. Now, I don't watch movies or television often, so I may be 15 years behind on the bandwagon, but I also started watching Supernatural this year, and I am really into it. I am currently on season two and even started reading John Winchester's journal, available on Hoopla, which is a nice supplement to my obsession with the show. I am super excited for all the great books to be read in 2022. Let's make this next year the best reading year yet. Thank you, Jessica. Yes, woo indeed. And may I say, welcome to Supernatural Fandom. Um, I'm more of a fan by osmosis because my wife is such a big fan of the show. But yes, you are in, indeed in, in store for some very exciting watching there. All right, up next, let's hear from Archana. Hello, listeners. This is Archana. For the December podcast question, I'm going to go with my favorite show of the year. And that, without doubt, is the series Squid Game. The nine-episode Korean thriller released on September 17th that has taken audiences all over by storm and is poised to become Netflix's biggest non-English language show in the world. This survival drama series takes place in South Korea. It opens by following a down-on-his-luck chauffeur and gambling addict named Seong Ji-hun, who's struggling to make ends meet while also trying to forge a relationship with his daughter who lives with his ex-wife and her new husband. But when Seong is confronted by a strange businessman with an odd proposition, he suddenly finds himself thrust into a game alongside 455 other people who are similarly in severe debt and have seemingly nothing left to lose. These 455 strangers are whisked away to a secret location where they are asked to play a series of kids' games like red light and green light, And the rules are simple. If you lose, you're eliminated. What the guards fail to tell these contestants at first is that elimination means death. And for every contestant who is eliminated, the cash price for the ultimate winner grows bigger. Whoever makes it through all six games alive will walk away with more money than they can imagine. But to get there, they must compete against one another, where the stakes are literally life or death. Now, the series paints a very unsettling portrait of the world that we live in. The lens to which people will go for a chance to become incredibly rich, even if it means harming their fellow men is presented very jarringly. The series also is a telling commentary on themes like socio-economic inequalities in modern societies, the cruel treatment of immigrants. And these are themes that connect globally. It's not an issue unique just to South Korea or America. The concept is very imaginatively rendered. Now, the violence inflicted on the contestants is hits very hard and it is difficult to watch at times. But the fact that the harsh realities are conveyed through the lens of childhood games makes it even more special and riveting. The performances are fantastic and the production design is very innovative. The costumes are striking. The players wear green track suits with their player number being the only differentiating feature on the outfits. And the staff members of the game 
wear uniform hot pink full body hooded jumpsuits and a black mask that bears either a triangle circle or a square symbol the uniformity of the looks aims to symbolize the erasing of individuality and personality though much of the show is bleak and brutal there's a very strong message of hope and goodness that shines through in fact there's a more optimistic kind of view of the world shown through the character's behavior at various points in the story including that of the main character now in the final clash siong where in order to take home the money or even avoid his own death has to kill his friend sang wu this is an act that the audience might even forgive him for given that sang wu has brutally betrayed more than one fellow player during the games but instead siong opts not to play and begs sang wu to agree to exit the game with him so they could both walk away sang wu refuses instead choosing to end his life in shame and hoping that siong can take care of his mother with the prize money and what is even more remarkable is that siong is willing to give it all up and even when he does win he still refuses to use the money so the final message i think of squid game is a very positive one that goodness and kindness still remain even in the most brutal of circumstances and that they can definitely turn the tide no matter the games were designed to divide and debase the players in the end it was the selfless actions of the main protagonist and his teammates that propelled him to victory Thank you. Thank you very much, Archna. I also uh, watched Squid Game earlier this year, and I have to agree, it's as brutal as it is. It's also very powerful and very thought-provoking. All right, up next, once again, let's hear from Katie. Hi, everyone. Katie here. I wanted to discuss a favorite movie that I had this year and also uh, one of my favorite books. So the first movie that I really enjoyed, I did not think I was going to, was um, The Suicide Squad from 2021. I actually hated the 2016 version uh, directed by David Ayer. I thought it was a bloated mess. Um, you know, I liked the plot. A secret government agency recruits some of the most dangerous incarcerated supervillains to form a defensive task force. I thought the plot was okay, but I just was not a fan of anything else. So I went into the 2021 movie, which is not a remake. Um, I guess it's like a retelling. It's not really a sequel, but I went into it not really expecting anything. And I actually had a shockingly great time. I think all the actors had a lot of fun with the roles. There were some pretty interesting characters. I really enjoyed a character named Weasel, which I don't want to spoil anything about Weasel, but there were some scenes with the character that actually had me laughing out loud, like really laughing out loud, like embarrassingly loud laughing out loud. But overall, I thought it was a fun, colorful, definitely dark action movie that I would probably watch again and again. And if you want to catch any of the different Suicide Squad properties that we have, we actually have a bunch of the original comic books available through the catalog at livingstonlibrary.org um, in physical paper form. We have, some, we have some of the new Suicide Squad series, and there are lots of different Suicide Squad comics in buckles to check out if you're unfamiliar with the book series. And you want to start with the comics. 
The book that I want to recommend is actually The Book of Accidents by Chuck Wendig, which is available through Libby. And it was one of my few five-star book reviews of the year. The premise is that a family returns to their hometown and to the dark past that haunts them still. So it was definitely literary horror. Um, But I found it fascinating because there were definitely scenes where there were callbacks to other scenes that I just never would have imagined could be woven together the way that they were. And I'm someone who reads a lot, so it's pretty hard for me to find what I consider a novel concept and something that really surprises me and comes out of the blue. And that's what I felt like this book was. Um, There was so much attention to detail that the moment I finished it, I actually considered going back and rereading it because I felt like I had missed something. And I can tell you, it's been a really, really long time since a book has made me feel that way, that maybe I just want to stop and start it again because I, I just wanted to be immersed back into it. All right. Thank you, Katie. Um, I also want to uh, mention that Hong Mei told me some of her favorites from the past year. Um, one of her favorite books was called Last Summer at the Golden Hotel by Alyssa Friedland. Uh, the book is about a family reunion in the Catskills that brings hilarity and nostalgia when two clans convene for the summer at their beloved getaway hotel. Long-buried secrets emerge, new dramas and financial scandals erupt, and everyone from the traditional grandparents to the millennial grandchildren wants a say in the hotel's future. But business and pleasure clash when the hotel owners rediscover the magic of a bygone era of nonstop fun, even as they grapple with what may be their last resort. So I'd not heard of that book until Hong Mei recommended it, but that sounds really interesting. And uh, she also wanted to mention another song that she really enjoyed from this past year. This was uh, My Universe, a collaboration between Coldplay and BTS, which is not necessarily a combination I would have expected to hear songs from, but uh, they made something pretty good. groovy um anyway as for me uh so i over the past few months have been going through a bit of a western phase uh which was unexpected for me because before i'd actually read very few westerns i read a couple of cormac mccarthy books uh blood meridian and no country for old men both of which i really liked and another one by ishmael reed called yellowback radio broke down that was from the late 60s I had nothing against the genre necessarily. Um, and in fact, I enjoyed a number of Western films like uh, the film Sergio Leone made with Clint Eastwood and Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven and Tarantino's Django Unchained, uh, Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which was a Coen Brothers movie on Netflix, stuff like that. But for whatever reason, I'd never read much Western fiction until a couple months ago when for one of my library school classes, I had to write a research paper on a genre I wasn't familiar with, so I chose Westerns. And yes, Western fiction, particularly a lot of older titles can have some problematic and racist and colonial overtones. And the books that do that don't 
hold up too well, of course, but I also discovered that many Westerns have a lot to offer, and the genre's best examples are packed with complex characters having really thrilling adventures through treacherous landscapes, in addition to uh, offering plenty of food for thought about America's, shall we say, complicated history. Uh, in my research into Western fiction, I came upon a book published earlier this year by Tom Lin. Uh, it was his first novel, in fact. The book is called The Thousand Crimes of Ming Tzu. And right off the bat, it's very different from what you might expect from a Western. It tells the story of Ming Tzu. He's a Chinese-American who becomes an orphan in the late 19th century. He ends up working as an assassin for a crime boss in order to survive. Uh, years later, Ming marries a white woman, but his wife's racist father doesn't like his daughter being married to a Chinese man, so he has his henchmen kidnap Ming and force him into hard labor with the Pacific Railroad. Now, eventually, Ming escapes his conscription into the railroad, and he travels from Utah to California on a mission to get revenge on his wife's father and his henchmen, and of course, reunite with his wife. Uh, but another interesting wrinkle that separates this book from a lot of other Westerns um, is that along the way, Ming teams up with a group of traveling sideshow performers, and they all have some kind of supernatural ability. There's a, a shapeshifter, there's a psychic, there's a, a woman with pyrokinetic powers, she can make fire. Uh, there's a Navajo man who can make people forget things, kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Jedi mind trick in Star Wars. Um, so The Thousand Crimes of Ming Su, it is, it's a traditional gunsling in Western in some ways, but uh, it also shines a light on the Chinese-American experience from that era, particularly how that population was brutally exploited by some of the American railroad companies. And on top of that supernatural angle, it's, it's very philosophical. And it made me think a lot about forgetting and how we as people, both uh, as individuals, but also collectively as society, how we use forgetting as a coping mechanism for better or for worse. Uh, the book officially made me want to read more Westerns, uh, especially the kind of modern weird Westerns that have speculative elements and are told by traditionally marginalized voices. Um, it also has this really uh, almost hypnotic kind of episodic structure with really short chapters. Uh, it make it really quick, a really quick read, but also unforgettable um, and thought-provoking, and it's absolutely one of my favorite books from 2021. Of course, if you'd like to check out Tom Lin's The Thousand Crimes of Ming Tzu for yourself. You can get it from our library or from another uh, number of other libraries in the Buckles Consortium. All right, well, that's about it for this episode of L-Town Radio. Thanks to Hong Mei, Katie, Archana, Jessica, Karen, and of course the Livingston Teen Advisory Board for all your contributions this month. And of course, all those children from the 40s who shared their Christmas stories with us from the West Essex Tribune. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. I hope you will tune in again next month when we are in 2022. And of course, I hope you'll come visit us at the Livingston Library. In the meantime, we are open seven days a week. Um, still, you can access all our online and digital resources through our website when we're not open. 
Um, our website is livingstonlibrary.org. Don't forget, you can follow our blog, which is at blog.livingstonlibrary.org. You can follow us on all other places across the internet, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify, where you can listen to and subscribe to this podcast. And well, until next time, stay safe, stay kind, and stay curious, and have a happy holiday season.